0: This episode of This Podcast is Making Me Thirsty is brought to you by Rudy's Vintage Clothing Store. Hey, welcome to This Podcast is Making Me Thirsty, the place to be for Seinfeld fans. This is episode 46. In this episode, we talk to a very special guest, John O. Hurley. John played Jay Peterman in 22 episodes of Seinfeld from season six through the finale in season nine. Please excuse the audio in this episode. John had some issues with his internet. We had a lot of fun. Enjoy. Thank you for listening. Please pass it on. Follow us on Twitter at thisthirsty, at thisthirsty. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty, episode forty six, John O'Hurley, J. Peterman.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, he is the man who killed Seinfeld. In a career that began some thirty five years ago with a badly lip synced version of the Yellow Rose of Texas for a Cape record commercial of Mitch Miller's greatest hits. Since then, he's managed to kill three series of his own, four soap operas. He's guest starred on more than 50 television shows. Not one is still on the air. And during Sweets, the golden week of television ratings, he managed to take not one, not two, but three shows off the air in one week. Ellen Seinfeld and Damon, ladies and gentlemen, the grim reaper of television, John O'Hurley. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Now now that's an introduction.
2: Now that indeed. So, so, so that's tough to that's tough to compete with. So John, speaking of that, you touched on kind of um things getting canceled. So let's let's jump back to nineteen ninety five. And I think yeah, you were I part of a, I think you were part of a show called The Whole New Ball Game when the phone yeah. call came from from seinfeld so tell us how the whole thing came about was there was there an audition i know you were doing a whole new ball game with actually a lot of of seinfeld characters that were were in the show yeah
1: quite it was uh, quite an all-star cast back then i'll tell you talk about people that went on to do much greater things uh, but we were all assembled on abc once a week for a uh, a really funny show called a whole new ball game and had a nice cast corbin burns and richard Kind, Stephen Toblosky, Julia Campbell, uh, all named Seinfeldian. And um, uh, we got canceled. ABC canceled us on a Wednesday morning. Basically, they called and said, don't come to work. We pulled the plug. That's how they do it. And I went out to dinner that night crying in my beer, trying to take the cancellation as personally as I possibly could. And uh, that evening, Larry David's office called and mentioned that they'd heard about the cancellation. And they had this guest star role on the next episode of seinfeld and they said it's something that john could chew up and spit out and have a lot of fun with and uh we think it'd be perfect for him does he want to do it well i i turned to my manager and i said tell him thank you but no i'm really licking my wounds over having my series canceled so i think i'll just let my you know ego lie in in the uh, <coughs> without any kind of conclusion to it and uh so anyway long story short uh, my manager never called and canceled, uh, so he got up and uh, I got up the next morning, he called me and he said, listen, just go blow it out of your system, go have some fun. So I went over there and they had offered me the role and, and, and I, they said, all we want you to do is to make it sound the way the catalog is written, as so though what he says comes off his tongue 24-7. So I had never seen the catalog before, they popped the J. Peterman catalog in front of me and... And it was about this long adventure story about an Oxford button-down, and, and I'm sitting there reading it, and I go, well, this reminds me of a little bit of a 40s radio drama combined with a bit of a bad Charles Kuralt. And so that was really kind of the origin of Jay Peterman, really. He was that kind of a, a character. And I just kind of pictured him as that kind of lone poet warrior there, standing with his feet curled over the cliffs of Ireland, standing over the North Sea, you know, that type of feel. And uh, and sure enough, that worked. They loved it. And, um, uh, but the funny thing was about that first reading is that I remember, and they hadn't finished, they were the most disorganized show on television. They hadn't finished the script. So I didn't know. They said, basically, he's just going to be involved with Elaine. And there were a couple of funny scenes about me speaking in the tongue of J. Peterman, but no mention of the fact that she was working for me or anything like that. So at the table read, um, I sat down and I read this thing. And mind you, I'm coming off my own series from 24 hours earlier. Right. And I remember calling my manager at the end going, This is the number one show on television. (laughs) It's not, I said, it's not funny. It's not funny. I didn't laugh once. I said, other people were laughing, but I couldn't understand why they were laughing. I realized this is something that I had to grow into is that Seinfeld didn't read funny. It was funny by the fact that you played every scene seriously. You weren't looking for the, for the jokes because you won't find them. There were no jokes. Oh, there was a quippy line and a witty comeback every now and then. But essentially, by playing the scene for the stake, the dramatic stakes that were there, the show became funny. So what you needed were four of the smartest comedic actors to really put that up on its feet, to understand what that new style of comedy really meant. Because... Um, you know, everybody else had come from the Golden Girls style of comedy. You know that sense right. of you know you set set up the joke, That's set up 100. the joke, and but yeah. wasn't that way. And it was it was very difficult. It took me a few uh, took me a few shows to realize um, the fact that I I had to dig deeper into the character to play him with with more depth and more of a higher stakes that this man. Really walked his talk, and as absurd as it was. And the more I did that, the more the character, more the writers wrote for the character. They realized they could have a lot of fun with him. He wasn't a you know a one-line type of. He was he was a long-form type of character. So they started writing these ridiculous Peterman monologues right. um, about you know him being off in the in the hinterlands and you know following the uh, the parody of the catalog, which was kind of a Hemingway-esque type of uh, send-up
3: sure and to, to your point so i was gonna that's one of my questions gonna be i mean you the way you no one defined that better than you that comedy that you're talking about that like the dig into the character and and deliver it straight you know not as a joke and it's funny i mean that was that was your character yeah I, you I mean,
1: can't that's not a character you can step aside right you have to play you have to play him for what he is he is a, he is the poet warrior
3: right um, so, so when you, you came out at the end of season six and then, you know, your next episode was seven, uh, you know, seven episodes into season seven, um, mm-hmm. did you, were you aware on how, how big your run was going to be? I mean, you were in 22 episodes more than anyone that wasn't a, a parent or, or Susan, um, No, I, seven. I really
1: had no, you know, I really had no idea, um, it. it um, but it was nice, I think, by the second episode, which was the Bosco episode, um, I mean, I knew I was going to return, they told me, because basically at the end of the previous season, she was working for me at the catalog. So I knew that I, we would, I'd be back. Um, and so I think I was prepared for it. And uh, even uh, you know, even to the point where you know there were certain, and I didn't know that this was considered taboo, but I would throw lines in left and left. And right. It's like that that wonderful scene when George and I are are sitting in the Chinese restaurant, and Jerry has already escaped on an ex- excuse built for one, as they say. Uh, and I put my arm around George and I say, "Come, George. It'll, tonight will just be the bulls." And I mean that was just really kind of off the top of my head. Um, I, I thought it was just kind of a, I, you know, I always saw him as kind of a swirl of testosterone. So it was just appropriate, I suppose, but I did, you know, I had no experience on the show, so I didn't know that. I mean, I was always told, just say think something's funny, throw it in. Well, it, I, you do that at great risk on Seinfeld because remember you have a, a team of very good writers and, right. uh, but, but I was able to put a lot of stuff, in. uh, uh uh, on the page just by trying it out. I mean, I understood, you know, it didn't take long for me to understand that character better than they did. Um, and, uh, you know, with all of his nooks and, uh, all of his, uh, nooks and crevices, uh, it was kind of fun to, fun to play him and let him expand.
2: So John, I mean, you personally, you personify like old Hollywood, right? You really like command a scene, and you, that voice, right? I, I want to hear about the voice. I knew you. You grew up in Maine. You went to Providence. The big Red Sox fan. The whole thing. Like, d- is this your original yeah, voice? Yeah, by the way, get, by the way, guess
1: guess what I'm watching right now? Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, Free it's great fruit League time, babies. So I've got it on. <laughs>
2: I've
1: got it on. Yes, right. Yep.
2: <laughs> How they look this year?
1: Uh, yes. Anyway, I'm sorry. I think it's going to be a magical season, I really do. I think they have so much undiscovered talent uh, on that team and these young kids, I mean they're leading the leading the league by by uh, leaps and bounds and home runs. Um their pitchers are are really fabulous and they've so much so that they've sent a couple of them back into um Triple A to go at least give them and the starts so i think that i think this is going to be a very different well, We were last place last year how could you not be working actually but i think this is a strong strong team
2: you know while we got baseball top of mind you were in the finale obviously keith hernandez was in the finale i'm sure you guys probably talked about the 86 world series i gather uh on the set
1: well i had known keith for a while actually we had um Years before that, we had done a celebrity basketball game together, um, with a few other of the uh, the Mets and the Yankees, and a couple of us guys, Brian Cranston and I. We were we were soap stars at the time, not on on uh, prime time, and uh, so we went all all we went over and played this team in in Brooklyn. I think this for a celebrity you know show up and play type of team it was a ragtag militia we only had like eight guys so we were all and none of us had played basketball in years and son of a gun they had they had a polished team they had plays that they were running and they had 20 guys on the bench and oh my goodness we ended up winning and so keith always remembers that story about the fact that you know that was probably the greatest athletic achievement from guys that really didn't deserve to be on a basketball court. I think I scored 20 something points that night, which uh, was more than I scored cumulatively in high school and college. <laughs> uh,
3: um, so, so you mentioned that the soaps and, you know, you kind of had that in your background before Seinfeld. Um, you know, like I said, I, I just uh, finished your book. It's a kid miss missed the bed on the first jump. And you talk about, you know, how, it's all, you know, if you're going to do something, do go for it, right? And you talk about when you first kind of decided I'm going to be an actor and went for it. Maybe you could touch on that kind of journey from from that beginning of making that decision through to kind of hitting it, uh, you know, hitting it big as far as that, you know, how that goes, sticking with it and that sort of thing.
1: Well, it was. it's kind of a romantic journey in that regard. Um, I knew at the age of three what I wanted to do to the point where, and I can't tell you why, I just know that it's true. Uh, people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and with a sense of disgust that only a three-year-old can muster, I would put my hands on my hips. I would point to the little black and white television in the corner of the living room, and I would say, "Well, I am an actor, so that's what I'm going to be." And it was based on the fact that I would watch romper Room and the Musketeer Club and all of and, and Captain Kangaroo, all of these shows that were kids shows, and but I always knew when I was watching television that I was supposed to be there, and i there was never any question about that. it was so so for me, it was always a sense of how do I connect the dots from age three until when I finally had the courage to uh to head to New York in my uh mid to late twenties there. Um, but what I had was an enormous sense of stage fright um and it's because it meant too much to me uh and so i never really set foot on a stage um in speaking role until um i was in my um i think i was my sophomore year in high school uh when i find when i was finally encouraged by one of the english teachers to go down and in uh, audition for the play well i ended up with the lead and 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 that's all I needed. That was the first time anybody encouraged me to do this, and that was the last time I ever needed it. But the sense of stage fright never disappeared. Um, and again, because it meant too much. And so um, I I went through college. My degree was in uh, in theater. Uh, my minor was in opera. I voice in voice. And so uh, I I learned not only you know my, my sense of honing my acting skills, but also my voice as well, because. You know, for an actor who is also a singer, you have to hone your voice because the voice is the musical instrument. It is the transmission. It's the vehicle by which you communicate. And most people today don't have never studied voice. They don't know how to use their voices. And as as a result, they can't stand on a Broadway stage and hit the back of the house with their voice. And so they can't command the stage. Um, I was lucky enough to, to to learn that as part of the craft that I have. So when you comment on my voice being, you know, unique or something, you know, if you were to go back into the thirties, the forties, the fifties, even the sixties and find these theatrical actors, Humphrey Bogart, all of the Richard Burton, all these people, and they had voices that I mean, these were trained voices. You didn't walk on a stage unless you had your craft down unless you were a trained certifiably trained actor and today everybody you know anybody hangs a shingle out and says i'm an actor if you have a you know you have a rap song you gotta you know you gotta you know you're gonna be in the next movie yeah it's 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 ridiculous everybody you know people people who just aspire to be famous become famous they become the story rather than learning how to tell a story
2: Right. And you mentioned all the, I mean, that's why I brought up you kind of personify old Hollywood, right? You worked at it. I mean, something as simple as, well, name your price, man. Like, I, it's, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. So tell us a little bit, like, about the set on Seinfeld. And you were an, you came along when the show was literally skyrocketing, ratings at an all time high. But you were also mm-hmm. part of the, you were also part of the Descent when Larry David left. I'm curious what season eight and nine were like without Larry, versus uh, six and seven when Larry was there. Like, how big of an yeah, impact? You, 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 referred to it as a descend. I, I don't. I actually think the show
1: got better. All right. I think it got. I think it got lighter and more joyful. Definitely I think it, it got it more too, abs- yeah, for sure. I, I think it got more absurd. Um, and and again, this is from my perspective and I, and and I enjoyed it tremendously became a little bit more physical. And I mean, we did things like, I mean, let's go back to uh, an episode. Um, uh, the, um, the wedding cake episode, which is actually the fire, the, um, the Frogger episode. I mean, George matriculating if to use that word, that (laughs) Frogger machine across the street, mimicking the Frogger game was a piece of comedic brilliance, not only in its writing, it's in, in its conception, but in its execution. I mean, I think that is one of the most perfect Seinfeldian moments that I can ever recall. Who would ever think of creating the Frogger machine, going across a, you know, a small side street in New York and then obviously being destroyed by a truck i mean it was an absolute piece of comedic brilliance and seinfeld was great but that also came about during those last couple of years and i think there were so many little tidbits and wonderful scenes that that um that were uh, endemic of that period that i think it's i think seinfeld was really at its hit a stride i when jerry says we went out on top i i agree with them i think we did That's i don't know i i understood what you're saying about uh with, um uh, Larry, uh, because Larry was a comfortable crutch in the show, because he was the voice of the show. When I say that, he was the comedic voice. It was always, at the end of every scene, he'd have a way, by watching it and the way we were taping it, it would say, all right, let's go back, let's go back, all right, let's do this, let's, and then you say this, and then you say that, and then you come in and do so, uh, he, um He did a lot of the uh, Kind of the, the you know the, laps, the, the, the last um, you know bit of hopscotch that was going on there. Um, he was able to you know take scenes that were a little bit flat if he thought so, and and really and and, and do them, but on the on the run. And that's what he was great at. I mean, he's a, a genius at improv and. And also can think of a thing that you know that you, he can give you. Unfortunately, he had actors that knew how to digest all of that, and he knew how to speak to actors. So you have—I mean—that's genius and genius, right? Um, I mean, but, you got so it, that's it a was a different—it was a different. It, it was a different. It was a I yeah, with.
3: I would say your points are exactly right. It was more absurd. It was lighter, and it was more physical. Those perfect, perfect uh, way to describe mm-hmm. it to us that was it's a two different shows almost in that respect and it sounds like you're articulating that it was almost two different shows when larry left he wasn't it so just depends on what humor you liked better the dialogue like slow driven earlier episodes or the more absurd you know uh, elaborate mm-hmm. what it ended up being so it's almost like two different shows in a way um mm-hmm. and you, you mentioned the frogger so that has you know it's an entomins which is a great line um i mean you were in so many classics i'm curious what other ones stick out to you i mean for for uh, for me i actually like the ones that are less crazy like when you just flop on the couch you're like oh they changed the channel guide again like that stuff i like more sometimes than the the more elaborate jfk golf club that they yeah
1: I, exactly exactly yeah. well i agree with that i thought i thought the jfk golf clubs was actually kind of a i think it was kind of a weak episode i thought it was a little bit too much about props rather than mm-hmm. about relationships that show was funny when when the relationships were being tested all the time um that that was a little too much about the props uh that one particular episode, but I go back and i you know i think of, i mean even in the wedding cake episode there when i when uh uh, uh when when we talk about the intimates and and I finally bring Elaine in and sit her down after having seen her tape uh, the the security tape of her doing the dancing and whooping down the last piece of uh my priceless wedding cake and I and I say to her, Elaine, do you have any idea what happens to a butter based frosting after six decades in a poorly ventilated British basement? I have a feeling that what you are about to go through will be punishment enough. <laughs> Dismissed. <laughs> um,
2: but it's what? I mean, just I mean, just brilliant.
1: Just what brilliant. don't
2: goes I mean, brilliantly. What lines don't you remember? I mean, yeah, that was, that's great. Yeah, that
3: right you got it right off the cuff. It's amazing.
1: Remember all of them they were so. And many of them were cut from the show. Um, I, I'm on that show or that platform now, cameo.com, yeah. uh, where people do shout outs for uh, people know what it is. It's a shout right. out for birthday days and retirements and stuff but what i do is i have kind of squared off a little niche for myself which is i write these custom uh monologues for people in the peterman style but they're based on all of the stuff that i do and that's been a lot of fun but but that was the joy of it It was those monologues were just the, the best and so i don't forget them they're they're still now part of my menu
2: right so speaking of peterman it's funny the actual Jay Peterman grew up around the corner from us here in uh, West Nyack, New York. How, and then I want to get into, like, I know you, you're you now a, an, you're a partner with Peterman, and you own the company. how um, had that whole thing come about? And were you, it sounds like you weren't aware of what the Peterman catalog was until you, right, sat down for the reading and kind of went through the whole thing. But how did the whole relationship with the real Jay Peterman come around? Right. And is he anything like yeah. you?
1: Well, it was, uh, uh, no, he's nothing like me, but uh, to his credit, he's uh, i mean, he's hes a, he's, he's a fun, fun man, and I love him dearly. Um, and we have, we've had quite a relationship together over many, many, many years. Uh, it was uh, during that first full season that they realized that, and, and People Magazine did a little bit on, on, um, on the character and the fact that, you know, this raving lunatic and what have you. And, um. We did show called Breakfast, and so um, uh, they were going to fly Peterman out, er, er, fly me out, and and fly him up from Kentucky, and we were going to meet on the show for the first time. And I, I had never seen him before, so I didn't know. And um, and they were going to put us together in the show, and they thought that would be fun. And indeed, it was a lot of fun. We had it was great. I mean, I walked out on stage, and it was like you know, I'm supposed to be meeting my doppelganger, and he looked like you know um, a very uh, a char, you know, a very charming uh, Kentucky rancher form of Mr. Whipple. Um he was, you know, had little glasses on, he had his little, you know, beret, his uh, little uh, uh, not his little his, his great big uh, western hat on and uh you know, he was outfitted perfectly in Peter Bennett. And I you know, I looked at him and I go, wow, looking at a mirror, you know. But it's um, it was good, and we developed a wonderful relationship after that. We actually went to dinner that night and had laughed for hours. Um, and and I really, you know, I I kind of got into the Peterman style of thinking. And he's a great man with an unusual niche in American uh, cataloging and and, uh, and and clothing and design. Um, he has some wonderful ideas and. Uh, created an extraordinary company that grew to, you know, uh, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in value in the late, uh, by by the end of Seinfeld, developed some difficulties, and um, they went Chapter 11. Um, He was able to get the intellectual property rights back uh, about a year later, after Seinfeld ended, and he called me and he said, uh, would you like to put the company back together again using our parallel strengths? And I said, I'm on. Where do I send the check? And so I, became on, I was on the board of directors and uh, part of the company. And it's like, I mean, let's face it. I like the, the role so much, I bought the company. <laughs>
3: That's awesome. That's so cool. Uh,
1: not too many. You know, it's like Marshall McLuhan once said, he said, be very aware because eventually the medium and the message will become indistinguishable. And I am the living example of that.
3: <laughs> so get, getting back to that character that that obviously you so well defined, um, you know, like we said, twenty two episodes, and and one of the one of the guest stars who really got to work with all of the main four a lot, uh, Julia probably the most, but you know you did have a lot with with Michael and and the, and the others, Jason and, and Jerry. Just curious if you have any stories, maybe working with one of them, you know, on the set in this particular scene or something like that that kind of sticks out. That, that uh, you know.
1: Well, you know, I I, I mean it here. was it, I describe I describe uh, Jason and uh, Julia and Michael and Jerry as the four smartest actors I've ever worked with. You know, to, together as an ensemble. Um, I always believe that we could have probably have taped the show as we stood up off the table read. Walked over, I think we could have taped the show right there. They were that smart, and uh, we could have saved a lot of rehearsal and everything like that but it they they were excellent at the way they defined their characters so I'll give you two examples, three examples one uh Michael Richards was an absolute i mean you have to go back to Buster. You know Buster Keaton or, or or Charlie Chaplin or Dick Van Dyke, even more contemporarily, or Danny Kaye, people that were physical comedians like he was. He would rehearse the Kramer skid stops in Jerry's apartment, like he was Borishnikov. And our two my the Peterman office and the um, the Seinfeld apartment were right next to each other. So I had his door right there, right, and I could see it right from my desk through the the other door, through the other uh, door of the uh, of the office. Nice. Privately, in the dark, rehearsing that skit, stop, rehearsing that skit. Stop. Every time he did a show, it had a different cadence to it. And I mean, he was an absolute genius for that. And and his character, just, I mean, his character choices were just beyond. It's so much fun working with. Him. So. They come to Julia, who I think was probably, uh, uh, along with Lucy LeBall, probably the greatest physical comedian that we have seen. She will do anything to get the laugh. She will go down with the ship. And as evidenced by the fact that she'll deprecate, self-deprecate to the point of with that crazy Elaine dance. I mean, who would do that? And I remember coming back um, after she had done the episode with the first uh, dance, and then I came on for the next one, and they were all talking about the dance. I said, "What is the dance?" She goes, "I can't." She, she goes, "I have to show you, like privately." And so she took me behind one of the sets, and it was like a private lap dance. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, I got the private dance. I, I you know, and worth every pet. But it was, um, I mean, it just you. A physical comedian like I have never seen, and one of truly one of the most gracious people in Hollywood. Absolutely love her, um, and and her husband too. Brad is just classy people. And finally, see, I talk about Jason, success of that show, and I'll tell you why. Any other fat, fat that that role and that show would have disappeared into a little vacuum. But what Jason understood. Was that that character was fervently and undeniably and passionately mediocre. And he defended it with his life. He swung from the middle rung on the ladder of life and he wasn't gonna change. And you could try to shake him from <laughs> it, but he's gonna stay on the middle rung. But there was a passion to George that made that role pivotal because everybody else was absurd you always had elaine as the you know the, as the mary tyler these kind of surreal mary tyler moore but the fact that jason was there playing the fat man you know the character within the characters um with such passion and elegance and drive i mean you talk about i mean a tour de force acting and defense of his mediocrity with his parents with no matter what it was it was i mean he had a joie de vivre that was that that held i think that was the toughest role in the show and it was the most brilliantly executed role i agree
2: yeah we agree, agree. Yeah, I we agree the, for sure the chemistry you touched on is was unlike any other and i think the self selflessness and letting guest stars like yourself shine or, or, or what made the show what it is so to try, well, the writing, you know, that horror, was the writing. Yeah. I remember
1: the, you know, the writers made us look good. Shakespeare said the play is the thing. If it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. The absurdity to, commit, uh, to be uh, communicated through the, um, the, these guest stars, these crazy guest stars, and allowed that to be the normal for them to have to deal with. Yep.
3: I, I, you know, John, I just I would be remiss if I didn't ask about uh, about Phineas and Ferb because my my daughters absolutely mm-hmm. love that show. You know, your Roger Dumas uh, Um I just that I don't is know how that, that came is and, that you know, is completely out of left field, Seinfeld but I love. It. Yes, it is right.
1: It is Seinfeld for kids. Yes, I agree. I agree. Ferb is is created by two of the funniest human beings you will ever meet. And um, they are just—I I, I think probably the most innovative, creative talents in Hollywood. And they created this wonderfully absurd show. Um, whether I'm watching it or not, it's a show that adults want to watch. We, we—you know—if we're driving to Palm Springs with my son, we have the grandparents in the back seat with uh, with him, uh, and they're watching Phineas and Ferb. Because yeah. it's so enjoyable to watch. It, it really is just, is. it's yeah. the greatest. It's like, it, forget the kids. It's, it's. Yeah, it's, really,
3: it's really, really well done.
1: And, and forget uh, that I meant that. I just love the show. Absolutely. If you haven't watched Urban and watched half a dozen episodes, it's just the funniest thing. It'll just make you smile.
3: I- incredible. Thank you so much, John. Ah, uh, that was that was so good. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate your time.
1: Absolutely. A lot of fun.
3: Thank you so much. Thanks Enjoy so much, your John. night, John. This was Go Socks. Take care. It. Bye
1: Thank bye. You. Yeah, I hope so. Bye bye now. <laughs>